Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to everyone who is worshiping with us today. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, it is so good to be here with you. My name is Per Nielsen. I'm the lead pastor at Community of Hope Church over in Rosemount and the president of the Master's Institute Seminary. The Master's Institute is one of the ministries that Hosanna supports through its tithes and offerings. So I'd like to invite the ushers to come forward at this time as we steward our resources well through the giving of tithes and offerings. You know, one of the great opportunities we have as Christians is to take the resources that the Lord has poured out into our lives and to use them for his kingdom purposes and for his glory. So thank you, Hosanna for stewarding your resource as well. I've got to tell you, I'm so excited to be here with you today and to share this message, and there's really two reasons for my excitement. The first is this, that I'm going to be talking about biblical theology. Now, before you roll your eyes in the back of your head and start taking a nap, let me just say this to you. Every one of you has a theology. Every one of you. And every one of you, when you speak and when you act, you live out that theology, because theology is simply this, it's how we understand God, how we think about God, what God's characteristics are, and how we apply those characteristics to our everyday life. Now, I'm going to be talking about a particular aspect of theology today, and that particular aspect has to do with how and why God disciplines. In Proverbs and in Hebrews both, it says this, the Lord disciplines those he loves. Now I've got your attention, don't I? The Lord disciplines those he loves. And the question is, how and why? How and why does the Lord discipline? The second thing I'm excited to share with you is just some personal stuff that that comes from Scripture that has helped my life tremendously. And it has to do with three characteristics of God that he desires to pour out into all of his people. And they are the promises of God, the peace of God, and the patience of God. The promises of God, the peace of God, and the patience of God. And my hunch is there's some folks here today who could use one of those three, if not all of those three in your life. We're in a teaching series called The Peaks of Scripture, and throughout The Peaks of Scripture, we've been exploring the mountaintop experiences in the Bible and really pressing into God's heart to see what he has to say to us in those mountaintop experiences. And one of the phrases that we've been working to bring to you most every week is simply this, don't leave the mountaintop on the mountaintop. In other words, when you encounter the Lord, you've got to bring that back down into daily life because God gives us these principles for living so that we can live faithfully. That's why he gives us these principles for living. That's why we have these remarkable encounters with the Lord. Now, the peak of scripture that we're going to be exploring today, honestly, is the the very first one that I encountered as a young boy. And I remember it so well. It's Noah and the ark. Noah and the ark, and I remember the stories from days gone by. It Reflecting on it over the course of, uh, of the last few weeks has been just a little bit of a reflection and movement into the ancient past. Back to when flannel boards were the primary teaching tool to learn b- biblical stories. Uh, well before the days of veggie tales, in part because when I was learning about Noah and the ark for the very first time, the creator of veggie tales hadn't even been born. I mean, this is the mid-1960s. This is, this is 50 years ago. This is a long, long time ago. So you remember this story, Noah and the ark, the animals two by two, and singing the fun rhyming songs, who built the ark, Noah, Noah, you know, all those fun rhyming songs, and you remember the rains and the floods, and then at some point in time in your life, your perception of the story changes. 
and you recognize that, that this just isn't a story about funny bunnies walking up a ramp into a big boat. It's not just a story that has some nice rhyming lyrics to it, a little bit of rain falling and flood coming up. It's a story about a God who creates and who recreates. It's a story about a God who enters into chaos and who ultimately sent his son, Jesus, the Prince of Peace, to rest with us in our times of chaos in life, in the storms and in the tragedies and in the great upheavals of our existence. So we're gonna be pushing into this story today, into this amazing, amazing narrative. If you'd turn to scripture with me to the book of Genesis in the eighth chapter, we wanna spend some time in the book of Genesis, the eighth chapter, and actually we'll be looking at some other passages right around the sixth, seventh, and eighth chapters of Genesis as well. One of the interesting things about this story is that it refers to what is called the mountains of Ararat, the mountains of Ararat. And the mountains of Ararat are located in Armenia. Um, you'll actually find in some ancient texts, you'll find this passage talking about the mountains of Armenia. And, and in some Bibles, it talks about specifically Mount Ararat. Now, Mount Ararat is located in the very far southeastern corner of Turkey. It actually was located in Armenia until 1921. And then because of geopolitical conflict, the boundaries changed, the borders changed. And now Mount Ararat is located in the southeastern corner of Turkey. It's a beautiful, beautiful area, a remarkable landscape where a volcanic mountain juts 17,000 feet up into the atmosphere. And it's here where a lot of research has taken place in and around for trying to find the actual Ark of Noah. And there's been some things that have been found and, and a lot of debate that's taken place, but most scholars now believe that when it refers to the landing of the Ark, it's not on Mount Ararat specifically, but on the mountains of Ararat, which is a much larger landscape, a much larger place. So what we're going to read today, we're going to begin with the narrative where the ark lands in these mountains. And then we're going to press in from there into taking on this big theological question and also talk about the significance of God's promise, God's peace, and God's patience. You ready to dig into scripture? Amen. Amen. In the eighth chapter of Genesis, but God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and livestock that were with him in the ark, and he sent a wind over the earth, and the waters receded. Now the springs of the deep and the floodgates of the heavens had been closed, and the rain had stopped falling from the sky. The water receded steadily from the earth. At the end of the 150 days, the water had gone down. And on the 17th day of the seventh month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. The waters continued to recede until the 10th month, and on the first day of the 10th month, the tops of the mountains became visible. One of the big questions that people ask when it comes to the story of Noah and the ark is, why the flood? Why the flood? And by the way, a major catastrophic flood is recorded not only in the Bible, but in numerous ancient texts around the world. Why the flood? There's a couple of different ways to answer that question. The first comes from scripture itself. We can turn back to the book of Genesis in the sixth chapter, and here's what we read. 
The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become, and that every inclination of the thought of his heart was only evil all the time. The Lord was grieved that he had made man on the earth, and his heart was filled with pain. The Lord was grieved, and his heart was filled with pain. The reason for the flood is that life on this earth had gotten so crazy, so out of hand, so immoral, so chaotic, that God decided that he needed to restart. And this brings out a really important challenge and an important theological point for us, and that is that the one who creates, and we believe that God created the heavens and the earth, also has the right to do whatever he wants with what he creates. But now as soon as you engage in that aspect, as soon as you recognize that there was sin in this world and that that the flood came to, to wipe out the sin and to restart, immediately you're drawn into a conversation on discipline. And why does God discipline and how does God discipline? And there are two things that I'd like to set before you in this conversation. The first is this, that God disciplines by stepping in. This view simply says this, that when it came to the chaos that was taking place on the face of the earth, the craziness, the immorality that was happening, the evil inclination of every heart, that God stepped in and created the floods, created the rain to fall, created the major catastrophic events that led to Noah and his family being saved, that God stepped in. But there's another way to look at this. And the other way to look at this says this, that when God created the heavens and the earth, he created the heavens and the earth with a natural tendency to implode in on itself. And in fact, if you're in the scientific world, the scientific world calls this the principle of entropy from the second law of thermodynamics. And the principle of entropy simply says this, that the world was created with order and that over time it is slowly becoming disordered. Now again, this is really in line with biblical teaching which talks about the world continuing to move toward an end when Jesus finally comes again to judge the living and the dead. And so in this perspective, God created, created the world with a natural tendency, with free will, and then God protected And God held back the heavenly floods. God held back the waters and allowed human beings to live. And over time, the evil inclination of human hearts became so great that God didn't step in, but he stepped back. Said, okay, have it your way. Have it your way. If that's the direction you really wanna go, then just have it your way. If you wanna do it the way of the world, have it your way. And the floods came, the discipline happened. Let's make this just a little more personal, shall we? Let's talk about raising children, if we could. How many here are uh, parents and love your children? Okay. Um, How many discipline your children because you love your children? How many sometimes just discipline your children? Sometimes, sometimes we discipline our children by stepping into their life. We bring about a consequence. We, 
We remove a cell phone, we, we ground them, we limit them in some way, shape, or form. We, we discipline by stepping into their lives. And then there are times when we discipline by stepping back from their lives. Now let me ask you this question. For those of you who have experienced both kinds of discipline, stepping into their lives, grounding them, putting a limitation, something, how many of you have disciplined stepping back from their lives and allowing the natural consequences of their actions to be carried out? Which of those two is harder? Without a question, stepping back. Watching your children encounter the natural consequences of their actions is unbelievably painful as a parent. It is unbelievably painful. No, I'm, I'm not gonna write you that note in school. And you're gonna have to do detention. You might lose your spot on the team. No, I'm, I'm not gonna bail you out of jail. You're gonna have to sit there. No, I'm, I'm not paying your rent. You've been spending your money on all kinds of other frivolous things and, and then assuming that we would just stand in the gap for you and protect you. You're gonna, you're gonna have to encounter this one on your own. Sometimes God disciplines by stepping in and sometimes God disciplines by stepping back. And God was grieved and his heart was filled with pain. As parents, as a culture, we, we call this kind of discipline tough love. We're gonna have tough love with, with our kids. But, and the tough part of tough love is almost always directed at the child. But I'd like to say this, for those of you who have walked that journey, isn't it just as tough if not tougher on the parent? It is unbelievably difficult and painful to watch your child walk into chaos in their lives. Ultimately, we don't know if God disciplined the world by stepping in or if God disciplined by stepping back. We don't know the answer to that. What we do know is that the Lord disciplined those he loves and the one who creates has the opportunity to do whatever he wants with what he creates. And what we do know is that through this act, whether it was stepping in or stepping back, that absolute chaos ensued. And Noah and his family found themselves in the midst of this unbelievably catastrophic event. And let's talk about chaos for just a second. Because we live on a continuum of chaos. We live all the way from common chaos, which has to do with daily lives, daily schedules, activities, small little things that come up in life. And, and life just feels chaotic. And then over on the other side, we have catastrophic chaos where we don't know what to do, where to go, how to function. We live in this continuum all the way across the board, this continuum, casual chaos, common chaos, all the way to catastrophic chaos. And when we find ourselves living in these chaotic environments, it is really challenging. In fact, what quite often happens is this. Anywhere on this continuum, what quite often happens is this, is that the external chaos becomes internal chaos. The external chaos of our lives 
becomes internal chaos in our lives and there's all kinds of discord that gets created. I know that there are those of you, whoever you're wa- wherever you're watching today, I know that there are those of you who have experienced that and you may be in the midst of that position right now where the external chaos has come into your heart and there's all kinds of upheaval going on. And if that's you, I want you to hear something. I want you to hear what the Lord has to bring and what the story of Noah can ultimately teach us about living in the midst of an absolutely chaotic event. So three things I talked about earlier. And they come from Noah, and they're part of his character. They're characteristics of God that we see in this remarkable story. And they are the promise of God, the peace of God, and the patience of God. Again, if you're here today, wherever you're watching, if there's chaos in your life, I want you to open your heart right now to receive these things because they are gifts of grace from the God of all creation. Let's start with the promise of God. One of the intriguing things about the story of Noah is that it is bookended with promise. Again, if you'd open up your Bible, turn with me to the seventh chapter in the book of Genesis, seventh chapter in the book of Genesis, starting at verse one. We read this. The Lord then said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and your whole family, because I have found you righteous in this generation. Take with you, and then it talks about the animals. And Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. God speaks to Noah and says, Noah, trust me. Build an ark. You're a righteous man. I'm going to care for you. I promise. There's something catastrophic that's going to happen, but you're going to be okay because of your faith in me. And Noah did all that the Lord commanded. At the very end of the story, you hear God's promise as well. At this time, it gets extended to all of humanity. Here's what it says. Genesis 8, verse 12. This is the sign of the covenant I'm making between me and you and every living creature with you, a covenant for all generations to come. I have set my rainbow in the clouds. Now, what they're talking about here is not a colored rainbow like we see after a rainstorm, but the actual Hebrew language refers to a warring bow, a bow and arrow that God is hanging up, never to be used again. I'm hanging up my weapons of war. I'm putting them up. And every time you see a rainbow, you're going to know that I'm hanging up my weapons of war to bring peace to this land. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow and the clouds appears, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all the living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind on the earth. There's something powerful about the promise of God in the midst of extraordinary chaos in life. Let me just share a little story with you about that. Back in my second year of seminary, just learning uh, the, the, the task of being a pastor, what it meant to care for people, one of the opportunities we had was to do an overnight chaplaincy in a hospital. And so 
I chose to go up to North Memorial Hospital up in Robbinsdale, and, and when I got there, uh, I met with the chaplain. This is early afternoon, and the chaplain gave me some instructions and said, here's what's gonna happen. You're gonna have this beeper, and when the beeper goes off, you call this number, and you go wherever they tell you to go and, and tend to whatever pastoral need is there. I'm like, Great. Showed me the chaplain's room, had a nice little cot in it so you could sleep, do homework, and... And then I did what every other seminary student before me has done. I took and I walked around the hospital, checked in with all the nursing stations, connected with some folks, prayed with some people, went back to the chaplain's room, did a little studying, and then I started to pray that the beeper wouldn't go off. (laughs) Three o'clock in the morning, sure enough, three o'clock in the morning, the beeper goes off, and I call in to the operator. She says, um... You need, you're needed down in the neonatal intensive care unit. So I went down to the neonatal intensive care unit, found the head nurse, and, and the head nurse started telling me the story. She said, there's two babies that have been born. They've been born to a crack addict mom, Dominic and Demetrius, and Dominic's not gonna make it through the night. And then she pointed across the room at a skeletal-looking woman and And the man standing next to her, who I later found out was the dad of the kids and also her pimp and her drug dealer. And the head nurse said, mom and dad would like Dominic baptized. Hmm. I remember thinking to myself, Lord, I got nothing. I I got nothing here. I kind of pulled myself together and I I walked over to mom and dad and they were holding one another and they had been crying already. They were very emotional and and I said, I'm I'm sorry about your babies and I understand that you'd like Dominic baptized and they nodded, yes, we would. So I got a cup of water from the nurse and I reached into the incubator where Dominic was on life support and slowly baptized him in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We all had tears running down our faces. I I stood back and grabbed their hands and we prayed together the Lord's Prayer. And there we stood, sinners before a holy God. And the promise of God breaking into the life of a young child in an incubator on a life support system reached out and touched the hearts of a drug addict prostitute mom and a drug dealer dad and a young pastor who's just trying to figure out what it means to be engaged in ministry. There's something powerful about the promises of God And it's the place we begin in dealing with the chaos of our lives. It's important for us to remember these promises, and some of you need to hear these promises today. The promise of forgiveness of sins. The promise of eternal life for those who come to faith in Jesus Christ. The promise that God's grace is sufficient and that his power is made perfect in our weakness. The promise that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation whatsoever for those in Christ Jesus. The promise that wherever you're at, no matter wherever you're at on this continuum, that the Lord will be with you. 
the promise that we're saved by grace through faith. The promise of God in the midst of chaos. When the promise of God in the midst of chaos bears down on our heart by the power of the Holy Spirit, something remarkable takes place. It gives birth to something, and what it gives birth to is the peace of God. Again, let's turn to Scripture. We're back in the eighth chapter. Starting at verse six. After 40 days, Noah opened the window he had made in the ark and sent out a raven, and it kept flying back and forth until the water had dried up from the earth. Then he sent out a dove to see if the water had receded from the surface of the ground, but the dove could find no place to set its feet because there was water all over the surface of the earth. So it returned to Noah in the ark. He reached out his hand and took the dove and brought it back to himself in the ark. He waited seven more days and again sent out the dove from the ark. When the dove returned to him in the evening, there in its beak was a freshly plucked olive leaf. Then Noah knew that the water had receded from the earth. He waited seven more days and sent the dove out again, but this time it did not return to him. The dove brought an olive leaf. This is the origin of the phrase extending the olive branch or extending an olive branch, which is all about bringing peace and reconciliation to a situation. But what's more important is what is carrying the olive branch. And what's carrying the olive branch is a dove, which biblically always points to the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. We see the dove lighting on Jesus, the prince of peace, when he is baptized and his heavenly father claims him. This is my son with whom I am well pleased. We see Jesus, the son of God, after he's been raised from the dead, connecting with his disciples and speaking into their lives, peace be with you. And then he breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. When the promise of God enters our lives, the peace of God is a natural outcome. It's the same peace that the Apostle Paul talks about in Philippians 4 when he says, this is the peace that passes all understanding. I don't know why I'm so peaceful. I don't know why I'm so calm. There's chaos all around me. This is the peace that passes all understanding. It begins with the promise of God taking root in our life by the power of his Holy Spirit and giving birth to peace. But that's not where we stop. There's another powerful element of this, and it has to do with patience. The promise of God and the peace of God and ultimately bringing about the patience of God. One of the things that scholars refer to regularly in the story of Noah is that this whole story, this whole narrative lasted some 350 days. 350 days. And during that time, you see Noah waiting to open the door. Waiting to let out the raven, and the dove, waiting for the dove to return, waiting, 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 350 days in an ark containing all kinds of livestock. Can you imagine? In western Minnesota, they call it the smell of money. (laughs) There was no economy at that point in time, so we don't have to worry about that. 350 days in a quick fix fast transaction, micro world, waiting is not the norm. But there's power in patience. Let me just raise two things before you. Number one, 
I want you to remember 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13 talks about love and the significance of love and what love means for our life. And the very first word used to describe love is patience. That love is patient. Now, what's interesting about this word is that, is that that word patient means literally this, come to a boil slowly. <laughs> you can still come to a boil, just come to a boil slowly. Love is patient. Think about this with me for just a moment. If love is patient, and if that is the first declarative that's associated with the word love, why is it? that we are so often the least patient with the people we love the most. Why is that the case? Well, every time I make that statement, I've gotta tell you, I can look around a room and there's always a couple of people who go like this. <laughs> Let's look at it differently. If love is patient, this is a characteristic of God himself being lived out in our lives. And I wonder today, instead of looking and pointing fingers, because patience always has to do with someone else, doesn't it? I wonder if you'd make a commitment with me today to live love is patient. At work, with your family, with that annoying neighbor down the road, when you're driving in crazy traffic and somebody cuts you off, would you be willing to live love is patient? Would you be willing to make that commitment today? The promise of God is in your heart. And the peace of God emerges by power of the Holy Spirit. Patience is not far behind. Joyce Meyer has a great quote about patience. Here's what Joyce Meyer says. Patience is not simply the ability to wait. It's how we behave while we're waiting. It's not simply the ability to wait. It's how we behave while we're waiting. There's one more thing I want to talk about concerning patience. And that is when we take a look at Galatians 5, verse 23, it's called the fruit of the Spirit. And one of the remarkable things that we see in Galatians 5, verse 23, is that peace and patience are both a natural outcome of the Holy Spirit working in our lives. It says this, that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, and patience. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, and patience. The promise of God, the peace of God, the patience of God entering our world on the spectrum of chaos. It comes from the story of Noah. It's delivered to us through the Prince of Peace himself, the person of Jesus Christ, who gave his life on the cross for the forgiveness of sin. And who the Apostle Paul says, in him, every promise from God is a yes. Second Corinthians 1.20 says this, for all God's promises, every one of God's promises is yes in Christ Jesus. Every one. Noah's Ark, not just about little animals walking up a ramp, 
Rain falling 40 days, 40 nights. It's about the promise of God, the peace of God, and the patience of God. As I close today, I'm gonna pray for you. And if you're in need of God's promise, if you're in need of his peace, if you're in need of his patience, just simply open your heart to receive. Because God, by the power of his Holy Spirit, wants to touch your life today. Let's go ahead and pray together. Father, we thank you for your word, and we ask, Lord God, that in the power of your Holy Spirit, you come and move in the hearts of those who are gathered here today. Lord, every one of us lives on the continuum of chaos. For some of us, it's just casual chaos, daily schedules, and getting kids to sports, and doctor's appointments, and school, and all of those things. And then for others, Lord, they're experiencing catastrophic chaos a medical report that is quite unexpected, a marriage that unexpectedly is falling apart. Lord, you've promised to be there all the way through with your promise and your peace and your patience. And so I pray, Heavenly Father, that whatever is needed in the hearts of those who are gathered here today who are worshiping in your name, that you would bring it to them by the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, bring your promise. Have it take root deep in their heart. God, from your promise, give birth to peace. And finally, Lord, allow this peace to be lived out in patience. Because ultimately, God, love is patient. We thank you, Lord, for your amazing love, for the gifts of grace that come into our life, and for your faithfulness. God, you are so good, and your mercy endures forever. We pray it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.